Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Revelation chapter 17. This is the sixth vision series in the book of Revelation, and it depicts a great prostitute riding on a beast. Now, the beast in this vision we've met before. We met him in Revelation chapter 13. Let me remind you of what it says there. In Revelation 13 verse 1, it says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. So here in Revelation 13, we have a beast rising out of the sea of peoples, nations, tribes, and tongues, and he resembles beasts that have come before. Using imagery from the book of Daniel, we we could say that he resembles previous world empires. Empires like Greece, empires like Persia, empires like Babylon. And so commentators generally agree that the beast from the sea represents governments and empires raised up in opposition to God's people. This is a picture of the devil animating government in order to persecute God's people. Now here in chapter 17, we see these governments propping up a seductive and immoral culture. That's what's new in chapter 17. That's what the whore represents. She represents a culture that is trying to lure God's people away from their pure devotion to Christ. We'll begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns." The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. Now, the Greek word translated as harlot there is pornace. And and obviously, you can hear that Greek word in many of our English words, like pornographic or pornography. This is a word associated with seduction and immorality. There is a seducing spirit animating popular culture, specifically so as to normalize sexual abominations and to lead people into more and more idolatry and immorality. And it is propped up by government. 
Right. I mean, this was written 2,000 years ago, but it feels like something you could have learned about this morning on the briefing, doesn't it? Now, the fact that she is called Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of Earth's abominations, needs to be unpacked a little bit. The fact that she is called, first of all, Babylon is intended to draw upon the symbolism associated with Babylon in the Old Testament. This is one of the benefits of reading the Bible using the RMM Bible Reading Plan. Uh, today, if, if you're doing the plan, then you were reading about Babylon in Isaiah 47. That is the exact symbolism being drawn upon here. In Isaiah 47, there is a conversation between God and two women, daughter Jerusalem and mistress Babylon. Mistress Babylon is arrogant and wicked. Listen to what God says to her, Isaiah 47.10. He says, you felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. And you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one beside me. See, Mistress Babylon lives in the shadows. Mistress Babylon believes everything that her own scholars and wise men say to her. She's the daughter of the night. She is fooled and foolish, and she makes outrageous and blasphemous claims. I am, she says, and there is no one beside me. Who does that sound like? Well, it sounds like something only God should say. She's arrogant. She's dark. She's wicked. And she oozes blasphemy and idolatry. Now, that is the symbolism that is picked up in Revelation 17. You've heard me say many times, Book of Revelation is like a, an art gallery filled with paintings that have been created using colors lifted from Old Testament canvases. So it is here. This whore, this seductive spirit, is propped up by government, we're told, and is the source of many infidelities and spiritual and sexual abominations. We go back into the text at verse 6. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was, and is not, and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast, because it was, and is not, and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one is... The other has not yet come, but when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast." They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Now, we talked about some of the symbolism when we were reading chapter 13. In chapter 13, it says in verse 3, 
One of its heads seems to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And we said there that most scholars understand that to mean that these persecuting powers and empires will seem to fall, will we'll think that they're dead, but then they'll quickly rise again in another place and in another form. Assyria fell, and it was quickly replaced by Babylon. Babylon fell, but it was quickly replaced by Persia. Persia fell, and it was quickly replaced by Greece. Greece fell, and it was quickly replaced by Rome. Now, this symbolism reappears in chapter 17. The beast was, and then wasn't, and then it was, then it wasn't, but it will be again. And what it will be will be much like what it was, for the same spirit animates it all. That's the point, right? As the seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one which is, the others yet to come. Some have tried to relate this to specific Caesars. But no one's ever been able to do it in a convincing manner. And therefore, most commentators take this simply as further symbol. Many of these kings and empires are in the past. One is here now. There's more to come. And they'll be of a peace with those who have come before. They're all of one mind. And they give their power to the beast. Okay, hear that. You can't read history as a Bible-believing Christian without wrestling with the implications of this passage. According to this passage, there is a single demonic mind behind the several and recurring persecuting powers throughout history. They have one mind, and they give their power to the beast, and he uses it to make war on the lamb, but the lamb will conquer them. We pick it up at verse 15. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purposes by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Well, that's very interesting. The, the text seems to be saying that, that at the end, in the future, the temporal manifestations of the beast, these ten heads or regional powers, whatever they are, will hate the prostitute. At the start of the vision, they're propping her up. But at the end of the vision, they're throwing her down. And this seems to be telling us to expect a persecuting power or empire in the future that despises seductive global culture. And in a roundabout way, they'll be doing God's work, the text says. God will use one of our enemies to destroy the other. And then verse 18 says, to end the chapter, and the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So the woman is a city, right? The whore is Babylon, just like the bride is Jerusalem. These are symbols. What the whole book of Revelation is saying is that there is a battle raging for the souls of mankind. Everyone is being shaken and pulled into one camp or the other. There's the camp of the beast and the camp of the lamb. There's the camp of the whore and the camp of the bride. There is the city of wickedness and there is the city of God. And at the end of the story, everyone is firmly and finally in one camp or the other. 
The lesson in this vision is clear and unambiguous, even if the symbolism needs some unpacking. Our enemy prowls about seeking whom he may devour. Some he destroys by means of political power. Others he seduces into ruin by means of corrosive culture. One way or the other, he would cause you to make shipwreck of your faith. Therefore, stay alert, stay awake, and stay in the truth of the gospel because the one who endures to the end will be saved. Even so, come. Lord Jesus. Amen. And thank you for listening to Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those over the website at www.intotheword.ca. You can also check us out on Facebook, and I hope you do. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there, and we post daily encouragements and conversation starters. Hope to see you there. And I hope to see you again tomorrow, right here for another episode of Into the Word. Before.